It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Ooh, there we go. There's my audience. Alrighty, let's get this show on the road. Oh yeah, this week starring special guest star Mr. Rob Shirelli. And thank you, fake audience. Thank you, fake band. Let's see who's in that chat room. Looks like there's a lot of activity going on in there. We have, wow, they're flying by. John Pearson, Bob Gunnerfeld, Dean Shortall, Kip Johnson, Russell Nolan, Nancy Collell, Joseph Alonzo, Darren Fletcher, Dave Friedland, KJ McCall, Adriana Lissette. Hello, Adriana. Marion Lair, Greg Carrozza, Gloria Covington, Rick Cabot, Podmore, Sherry Marcus Milano, Chuck Erling, uh, whoa. Carl Wurzbach, Keith Sumner, Kenny Feinberg, Richard Emmett, hello Richard, John Michael Karnatz, uh, we will write you a song, hello, um, oh man, I scrolled past it, uh, Steve Prost, uh, Martin Gravel, Pete Mason, John Sablich, songs from a headband, Darren Moss, Indigenous, Happy Ron, Brandon, Jansen, Peter, Rice, Edmund, Red, Ken Mesford, Wow, Rainy Bear, uh, Gloria, uh, got you guys, Edmund Red, I think I said already, Brad Gray, Andre Stepanian, Vinyl Stripes, Dave Barnett, Chapters, Ray Winch, Rob Vermillion, wow, Riffs That Rule, I cannot believe the turnout today, woohoo, did you guys come to check out my suntan? <laughs> I, I must have spent a lot of time in the yard over the weekend. Uh, oh, no, I've got the tickly nose hair. <laughs> I spent so much time checking my tomatoes and uh, squash plants out there. Um, hello, Scott. Uh, Scott Hansen, Patrick Adams, Gregory Vorb, John Neff, Jan Fabianic, uh, Jenna V. Wow. Um, yeah, I've been... Uh, growing tomatoes and zucchini and uh, I am literally like that guy that walks out there to check the paint drying uh, and it doesn't make him grow any faster. Hello Wendy Landers, John Hemingway, Spiritual, Greg Michael Huberty, uh, Khalid Hamid, Red Sky from Aberdeen. Wow. Dave Menser, Alex Dillon, No Data, Jesse J. Peck, Charles Wilson. I cannot believe, Wei Zeng, how many of you guys are in the chat room today. Gee, I hope it's a good show. <laughs> I wouldn't want to let you down. Uh, Mark, Mark Barnett, uh, Lauren Smith. Wow. Darren, uh, Darren Wilson, Dean Turner, Jan Weilich. I, I cannot believe the turnout, Ken Parks. Anyway, I could spend the entire hour sitting here just reading off names. I'm impressed that you guys all showed up for this. Um, oddly enough, Ariana just emailed me the questions. Uh, Jettison Bloom, hello. Um, we only had five questions uh, on our Facebook page. So uh, I guess we will be, after we address these, we'll be working mostly from uh, questions in the chat room. So there you go. I uh, hope everybody had a great weekend. Uh, here we are, locked down still. <laughs> you know, I really, truly thought when I started doing the quarantine happy hours on Tuesdays through Fridays that uh, that would last for two, three weeks, maybe. And here we are, let's see, um, 
April, May, June, July, four months already. Um, Gary, save that question uh, for later because I won't be able to write it down quickly enough <laughs> now. Um, but I will get to it later. Anyway, so, uh, you know, here we all are, stuck at home. Could be worse, you know, at least we have a home, have a home, homes plural. Um, happy for that. Um, hope everybody uh, who uh, had a job still has a job. And for those of you who don't, my heart breaks for you. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, hope you're all staying healthy, you know. Who knows what to believe on the news anymore? I mean, it's like, you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Oh, do wear a mask. Um, stay inside. Don't stay inside. You can go outside, but you got to be six feet away. But if you're going outside now, you need to wear a mask. It's just, it changes. It depends which channel you're watching. It depends who you're listening to. Who the hell knows what to do? Not me, but I am. I, I was at the office today for a little while, like three hours, came back home. I think I've already washed my hands like 10 times. Um, okay, so without any further ado, I told Rob I would be calling him at 4.05, which it is right now. Pick up, Rob. Probably right in the middle of a mix. Hi, this is Rob. Please text me if you can. <laughs> Otherwise, leave a message. Uh, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, calling you. He actually said, are we going to do this on video or are we going to do audio? And I said, let's just do it by phone because we know that works. And he goes, good, I don't have to shave. <laughs> oh, man. Rob may be out social distancing. It's so funny. I could literally see his chimney from where I'm sitting right now. Um, no, he didn't forget. He and I have texted each other a couple times today. He's getting his beer. Oh, there he is. Hello, Rob. How you doing, man? We ready to go? <laughs> ready to rock it, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready, ready, ready to rock the taxi TV today. Let's do it. All right. We're on live. Can you guys hear Rob okay? All right. All right. All right. All right. I can't hear anybody but you, my friend. So. Uh, yep, they can hear you. Okay, we are good. So yeah, I was just well, lamenting the fact that uh, when I started doing the taxi quarantine uh, happy hours that uh, I thought I'd be doing it for like two or three weeks and here we are four months later and we're all kind of locked down again. Uh, and, and I find it sadly ironic that you and I are as close as we are, that our families are close and I'm staring out my window as I'm talking to you. I can see your chimney. Uh, and yet we haven't seen each other face to face. So hi, Rob. <laughs> all right. Hey, I'm always good to talk to you. And I hope all the taxi folks are doing well and staying safe. Me too. A lot of, a lot of friends over there at Taxi that I've met over the years. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody is, uh, is doing all right. So. 
Yeah, thankfully, uh, haven't heard a lot of like actual COVID cases with the members, so I'm very happy about that. Um, so let's jump right into the first question. We only got five on Facebook, but I'm sure people in the chat room will have many that they will want to ask. Uh, okay, well, before you do that, can I can I tell you what I think we'll, I'd like to do today? Yeah, sure. So you mentioned you want to give away some software. So how about if we give away different software every 15 minutes? That's great. That sounds incredibly well, good. So if you guys are doing like, I don't know if they, if they text in what they want. So if they text like whoever, whatever the thing is they want for the next 15 minutes, I'll put up a free code and then we'll take it down and put up a new one, whatever the next one they want in 15 minutes. All How's right. That? Uh, we're going to get a hundred people texting, you know, five different things. So maybe you should just pick one randomly. Um, every 15 that'll you know well that's no fun but all right <laughs> i just can't think of i mean literally if i say okay everybody texting people are already texting you know um, all right i'll tell you what we're gonna do give me a name for the code i need a, a name for the code okay um what are we calling today's show we have a name for it uh Taxi TV Q and A with Rob, but I mean, just call it uh, Taxi TV. Got it. Taxi COVID TV. There you go. Taxi T A X I C O V I D T. Let's not even make it. Let's just call it Taxi TV. Let's be Yeah, don't give it any bad bad mojo with the word COVID in it. <laughs> hey, Cass, how are you? Okay, so let's start off the day by picking a product. Let's pick. Um, M1 limited light, next 15 minutes or so, till the alarm goes off. And uh, no maximum uses. Let me just put this on. And uh, I think we should be good. It's, it's uh, let's see, 100% discount, active. Taxi 2020. Okay, so Taxi, T-A-X-I, TV, 100% off. Uh, There you go. All right, uh, Marianne Laird. People are saying, what do we do to get it? So what you need to do is go to finalmix.biz, B-I-Z, finalmix.biz. Go there right now. Go under products. And which one are you giving away? I'm going to actually change the coupon code because we used that one before. It won't let me do it. So it's Taxi TV 2020. Okay. Taxi TV 2020 update on the code, kids. Okay, so yeah, go to go to um, go to go to finalmix.biz. You know, put the M1 limiter in your cart. Checkout, and when it comes to the checkout, just add Taxi TV 2020, and then the price will be zero. Don't buy it. Don't don't pay for it if it doesn't. You know. Yeah, I can't do the refund thing. That's the thing in the butt. So make sure it says zero. Make sure you hit the button that says apply code, and it'll be free. That's and why I was wondering why the chat room was so incredibly filled up today, and now I realize it's because people knew they were getting free, awesome software. Yeah, it's not about you and me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. sad. And I was just telling everybody that uh, I've got a great tan going on today. I was out in the yard a lot this weekend working on my tomato and zucchini plants. So I actually 
have like this awesome tan going on and I thought everybody just showed up to see how I was looking but I guess not all right not a chance <laughs> okay all right well, all right, so, all right the first question is from Stephen Perry Bruce says hi Rob thanks for being here today question could you please elaborate on fader positions where is the best place to have them when beginning a new session and does it matter for different instruments or vocals and where should the faders be when starting the mix down thank you what was the first part of that? Where should the what be? Faders uh, be? Yeah, what's the best place to have your faders when beginning a new session? And does it matter for different instruments or vocals? You know what I do? When I get a new session from folks, okay, you know, I put the tracks into Pro Tools, but it's the same for Logic or Cubase or anything. You know, you just put them in, and I will group them all together and so that there are you know so if i move one they all move together just to get the overall level right. making sure it's not overloading you know and once i do i just kind of listen and then you know when we we talked about this before on taxi tv you know so and at the uh, rally so the next step i do is i just i find the thing that's too loud and I, i'll turn it down like 5 db the first pass i only will move something like 5 db like generally then the second pass, I'll do like 3 dB. Then the fourth, I'll do well, 1 dB. And then in you know, 10 minutes, it should sound pretty good. You know, so I just move things one at a time until it starts to sound like something. I don't touch an EQ. I don't put a compressor on. I don't do anything until I understand what's happening in the song and what the general, you know, the vibe is. You know, i got to learn the song. got to get my head around it, you know. I think, uh, I think that's a, you know, it's worked for me for 31 years. So, you know, that's cool, you know, just it, be simple about it. If you're starting out a new session and you're going to start recording, um, right. is it safe to say that you would shove all your playback or your, do you shove your playback, your monitor faders up to zero um, and then get your recording levels on the input side and if zero on the playback side of the faders is too hot but you like your input level do you then back down your uh, mix fader from the zero position well see oh there goes the alarm there goes my alarm that means it's time to switch plugins okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're going to edit this list and we're going to go from what was the M1 limited light to uh, the Neve? No, I don't want to say Neve. The EQ73. Okay, so you can go get the uh, 70 EQ73 now. Okay, so moving on. Yeah, that EQ. Well, you, know, you just that asked EQ. a really complicated question. Yeah. So okay, let me repeat it. Uh, I'll make it simple so you can follow along. <laughs> well, when we're recording, you know, it starts with the preamp, right? Right. So assuming, so, so the great question that you asked really taught, really, um, I think the good part of that everybody really should learn is your gain staging, which begins with the proper setting of the preamp. And if that's set properly, well now the preamp may be going through a fader, but not always for folks these days, because they may be going into a, a digital workstation. 
Yeah, but that's the critical piece, is to make sure that the preamp is properly set for the signal and for the microphone. And if that's properly set, then it's just a matter of monitoring levels, right? Yeah. So do you have, like, I've always found that the sweet spot for many preamps, uh, especially like uh, SSL preamps that are in the faders, I mean in the channel strips, I usually kind of defaulted with those somewhere around the one o'clock position. Um, yeah. Because that's not too hot, not too low, and it drives the preamp enough that it sounds good. If I'm doing something where I want a little more oomph, I might boost it to two or three o'clock. Is that typical or is that just me? Well, you know that's typical. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's about right, you know. And sometimes, you know, if it's a hot signal, um, you know, you might have to put a pad in or you might have to turn it down. You know, and sometimes with a Neve, you know, it's nice to overload it. You get a different type of crunch, you know, which is nice on certain things. But, yeah, that's not a bad rule of thumb. But if you, you know, most of these um, modern preamps have, have clipping indicators and things like that. So if you're doing a, a vocal on a let's say a focus right red or something scarlet whatever the new thing is you know our universal audio they have those clipping lights and you know if you pay attention to those you know for new folks you you'll get a sense of where a vocal setting you know where the sweet spot is and and you're right it's usually right around you know, one o'clock it tends to be about right um but not necessarily you know if, if right, different singers have different you know a guitar could be very different than a singer, right? Yeah, and uh, it depends, you know, like if you're doing something like a, you know, a lead guitar and you've padded the mic, then one o'clock, you know, as your default starting position goes out the window, right? It could, you know, that's, you know, that's the art of engineering, the distance of the microphone from the cabinet, how long the, how loud, if it's a Marshall or if it's a Fender Champ or if it's a Princeton, you know, if it's an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, or if we're going, you know, if we want to get the overloaded preamp, now we get into those, you know, nuances, which we love, which you and I love, right? Absolutely. It's getting into those things, you know, but, but in terms of, I think you nailed it, right? In terms of a good starting spot is, you know, generally it's noon to one o'clock right in that area. Yep. And it should be enough headroom for the preamp to cover all the detail and stuff and then once you know once you know once you master that then then it's just a matter of you know stretching out and learning the preamps and the mics and the, all of that you know good stuff um do you have a, a favorite preamp that uh, is not one that would be found inside, you know, a console situation like an outboard preamp? Is there one? Let me rephrase that. Is there a good outboard preamp that doesn't cost like a thousand dollars? You know, something that uh, an average home studio owner might use or, or be able to buy? Yeah. There are a few things, but I, uh, um, I have said this so many. Well, you know, folks who are using, you know, like the Focus. I love the Focus Right stuff, right? I've, every time I hear it, it sounds good. Right? Yeah. The Focus Right Scarlet, Nate and Kaylee use that with a lot of success, and um, and, and I feel like there's many of those that are pretty good. 
but you do have to, you know, I, I have to say, you do have to spend a little bit of money when it comes to outboard gear. And I happen to love the 1073, and I also love the tube tech stuff. Now, that's pricey, you know. Right. And I just had a, two of my good friends, we were doing the Zoom thing and reconnecting last week, and we were talking about, you know, how difficult it can be to get a great recording without a good preamp. And isn't it just worth spending a little extra dough, even if, you know, I'd say wait and buy a really good preamp. You know, I love the 1073. If you can't get a good sound out of it, something's wrong, you know. And, you know, the tube tech preamps are amazing. The retro stuff is amazing. You know, but that's going to cost a grand, you know. And there are some good ones, which I had recommended at um, at the last two road rallies. We put up a big board and, and pointed out the... Um, you know, the different uh, preamps that are affordable. And I'm going to look for them right now and we can come back to it because I don't remember what they were, but I actually tested them and everything. So let's see, Road Rally. What did we talk about? <laughs> Searching his files. Um... <clears throat> Looks like. Hmm. Well, we have a BAE 1073, which is what I use, which is 950. The API 512, which is 895. The Grace M101 765. And the Golden Age Pre, which everybody is starting to get pretty hip to, you know, those are 499. So that's. I don't know that you can get any cheaper than that on a standalone preamp, you know. Um, I saw a demo of the Golden Age a couple of years ago. I think I actually sent you a, a link to the site. And, you did? Mm -hmm. Man, oh man. I mean, they're little and, and they look almost like, you know, retro gear. It, it looks like something like a kid would get from... His parents, uh, you know, as a Christmas present. Here you go, son, your first preamp. But um, everything that I heard in that demo just sounded amazing. So looks can be deceiving. Yeah, in, in fact, um, you know, guys are making good stuff, you know, inexpensively these days. And they use, you know, good components in there. And, um, you know, there's also... Um, you know, preamp and compressor combinations like the Universal Audio 610 or LA610, which is right. a compressor and a preamp 775, and those are nice, you know. Uh, so I, I don't think you have to spend a ton of money, but, you know, I, I've, I've really... I really believe that, that, that a good preamp, I mean, that's the first thing your microphone hits. You know, you need a good mic, you need a good preamp. You know, yeah, you need a good compressor too, but, you know, that's that's important part of that signal chain. And I really, it's hard to say, but, you know, you do have to spend a little time on it. You know, you really do. Well, I mean, I, I know plenty of taxi members that have the focus right, you know, that's like $129 or somewhere around there, maybe 149 and, and I've heard some amazing recordings from many of them. So I would say that one, if I had to personally recommend one, of course, I've never used it, but just from feedback that I've gotten from people who own it, 
it's an incredibly good piece of gear at a very low price. So, you know, if you're if you're not ready to move up to the five hundred to a thousand dollar range, that one's probably a pretty good investment. And I recommend those all this the alarm again. So um, I recommend those all the time. We've tried so many different things, Nate, Kaylee, and I. We've, we've been through five or six different things and um, in others through the years. But we really, um, and I just got one for my daughter. I really love the Focus Focusrite. I think it's called a Solo or something. Right. And then there's the Scarlet and there's a, you know, there's a few different things. But the Focus Focusrite stuff has been... Um, fantastic it really has the sound is great and if you can you know again if you can't make a record on that it's not the, the device i mean the sonic quality and the um you know is great it's great and you know when you get into outboard gear like compressors and you know tube tech compressors or la2a's or 3a's now you know we're kind of getting into a different area where the art of engineering takes on maybe uh, a left turn a little bit right right but in terms of most people, I mean, in myself included, I would if I walked into a studio and I had to record, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Pink on a Scarlet, I'd be fine with it. I wouldn't freak out. I mean, you know, it's going to sound great. I absolutely believe that you could make a great sounding record with like, a, you know, a Gage ECM 87, a, a pair of those, a couple of 57s. Um, and we talked about last time you were on the um, AKG, I think it's a 212 that's like the less fancy version of the 414, same capsule but with less features. Uh, you know, having that and any, any of the DAWs um, and, you know, 10 pieces, uh, 10 plugins for EQ and compressors, you could make a real record on that stuff, couldn't you? Absolutely. Now we're switching to the Mastering EQ, everybody. So Mastering EQ uh, is now the one that's, that's live here. So go get it. All right. Um, I hope everybody heard that. I'm pretty sure you did. Switching to the Mastering EQ. Please enter the, uh, the code now. Ariana, if you'd be so kind to pop that code back up there one more time for everybody. I mean, these days, it's just stunning how good the, you know, how much you can get out of a laptop and a, um, oh, yeah, in a, in a Focusrite, okay? Yeah. And, you know, I've been producing this, this great singer, her name is Isabel, and she lives in Denver. And we've cut two records uh, recently, and we ordered a, a USB mic for her. And we had to do it over, you know, she had to record it in the garage band. And I got that, that that thing back, you know, put a little, you know, tiny bit of EQ, a little compression, and that thing sounds awesome, man. You know, she's got a great voice, but the idea is that, you know, even these USB mics that are out there, some of them sound tremendous. I'm, I'm talking to you right now. Well, I'm talking to you on my phone, but I use an Audio-Technica. Whoops, i got to kill my email. I use, uh, for Taxi TV, I use an Audio-Technica USB mic. I love this thing. I mean, first of all, it, it's built like a tank. I think you could drop this thing off like a three-story building onto a concrete sidewalk, and it would survive. But it sounds great. I'm just blown away by it. 
I'll even go one step further because something else just occurred to me, not to confuse everybody, and this is probably going to confuse everybody. So I work with this great producer, his name is Emil, Emil Gantos. So we've done many records together from Charlie Wilson and, uh, you know, Mr. Worldwide. You know, we've done a whole bunch of things. Um, and he is, um, he just did this group called um, Now United used to be called One United, but they're getting millions and millions of video streams and they're just blowing up. And they had to record their stuff on an iPhone. Now, there's a guy you may want to check out an interview and see how he did it because those records sound great. And they had to sing it into their iPhones. Wow. Why did they have to sing it into their iPhones? Were they in prison? I don't know. I, they were all prison? over the world. Because, well, first, you got a COVID problem, right? So nobody's <laughs> going in the studio. And... I think they're all over the world. I think some of them live in Europe. So he would be, a, in fact, I mean, I, I'll get him on the phone if you want. You can ask him yourself because it is, it's a wonder how he did that. I have no idea. You know, so. I, I'm absolutely convinced that the audio and video technology that most of us, if you've got, you know, a, a phone that's like a year or two old, the audio and video technology that's in that phone is far superior to the stuff that was in any studio that we worked in back in the day, you know, when we first started our careers. In some respects, yeah, yeah. And it's so easy to just think about it, right? Imagine when we first met, the idea that you could, you know, sit in your bedroom, right. you know, put a plug-in on a computer. First of all, computers. I mean, you know, we're talking about, I think, the Apple SE or something was the thing at the time, you know, right. 84. <laughs> You know, even connecting MIDI to the damn thing was, you know, you needed a doctorate, you know. It was it was a nightmare. But, uh, you know, plugging now today, you, you call up your laptop or your, your iPad or something, and, oh, there's the clock again. Well, this time is going way too fast. Um, you, um, you know, you call up, you put a plug-in in, put ivory or something or a MIDI piano or something, and you, you get that beautiful piano sound. And, whoa, at your fingertips. You don't have to go to the studio. You don't have to mic it up. You don't have to have, you know, $5,000 worth of microphones and a $1,500 studio bill. I mean, it's right there. It's right there. It's incredible. You know, when you and I were on the phone just hanging out one night, uh, probably like three weeks ago, and you were talking about a, a record you were working on, and you did what you and I've spoken about before, something I used to do fairly frequently back in the late 70s, which was remiking something. And you said that you, for a record you were working on, you actually sent it out of your control room at your house, out into your living room. And because uh, last time I was over there, like having pizza at your house one night or something, I clapped my hands in your like uh, family room kitchen area and said, wow, this room sounds pretty good. Didn't you? T was that you that told me that you set some speakers out there and remiked yeah, yeah. drums yeah, or something? Yeah, because when we bought this house 22 years ago, you said you, you would come over because I am working. You said, Shirelli, you got to check this out, you know, and you clapped your hands when we first moved in. You said, listen to that. That's a great drum room you have here in your, in your living room, you know. <laughs> and you were, and I just remembered you said that, and then and I had recorded some drums in my garage where my, you know, my kids rehearse and stuff, and right. <laughs> you know, uh, and I thought, you know what? I mean, I'm just having fun. Let me let me run a cable out to a couple of speakers and a couple of mics, and I put them in the room, 
and I ran a drum mix, you know, into the speakers and re-recorded the ambience from the room back through the mics. And I was like, wow, <laughs> 22 years later, <laughs> I was right. The drum movement sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I have a nasty habit of like when I walk into a restaurant and if it looks like it would be a great studio, I clap my hands and people look at me like, why is that idiot clapping his hands twice? You know, uh, they're psychotic and he wants to see what it would be like to, to get a drum sound in there. Right. I Now, sadly, because of COVID, there are a, a lot of restaurants that have shut down. There's one not far from us near the Thousand Oaks Mall. I can't remember. Maybe it used to be a Marie Callender's or something. And it's got a vaulted ceiling and stuff I can see from the outside. I've been so tempted to like call the realtor's number on the sign and pretend I'm interested in opening a restaurant there and get a tour of the place just so I can walk in and clap my hands. <laughs> You're a sick man, Michael. I just love great sounding rooms. I really, I, you know, I, I love audio. It's a lost art. It is. And, you know, it's a lost art, you know, the use of rooms. In fact, now that you mention rooms, this morning I talked to Nate and Kaylee. We're doing this little Motown thing now, right? Yeah. So I took the vocals and um, ran through a reverb as I normally would. But instead of sending it to the reverb and returning it, I, I put the reverb on the channel on where the vocal is, right? So the yeah. vocal goes into the reverb. You know, maybe there's ten percent or something mix of reverb, and uh, and then I decided, you know, we compress that thing. So I put it through a, a plugin, you know. Uh, and then, you know, it was really interesting because back in the old day, your vocal was on the mic and you had the room behind it and it was being compressed. And then the release of the compressor would would allow more room in, in, in the spaces. So I did that and I was, you know, I, to say I was surprised would be an understatement. You know, it really worked well. And that's very unorthodox these days, you know. Um, you know, to take something that has, uh, you know, dry vocal, put it through the reverb first, and then compress it so that the release of it will introduce the reverb back in. So you explain know. the signal chain. So it goes literally from the mic preamp out into the inside of the reverb, and then you No, can... no, no. It's, it's already recorded. The vocal's already recorded. Ah, okay. So it's on a track, and instead of just sending it to a reverb, Right, you right. know, you normally compress the vocal or do whatever EQ you might do on the channel, and then you'd you'd send it to a reverb, right? Right. Well, instead of doing that, I mean, you know, you've done this before, but it's just not typical in today's music, right? So what I did is instead of sending it, I sent the reverbs. I compressed the reverb returns, and and some people might say it was keyed off of the lead, so. So every time the lead sang, right, the compressor would duck the reverb, but then when, the, when there was a space, the reverb, then the release of the compressor would bring the reverb up. And where did you set your release time on the compressor to get, you know, to enhance that sound? Um, well, and this song was probably about 100, 120 or something on the release. But the idea is that it's, you know, that's really just bringing the room back in in an, in an interesting way. Right. So, I mean, everyone will go try that now, and I don't know, some will love it, some will hate it. I mean, it's not for every record, but um, but I, I, since we were talking about rooms, you know, I feel like um, the drum room uh, or vocal rooms and these things, um, 
they do make a big difference and uh and there can be some cool ways that you can approach that you know especially in um in your computer right there at your fingertips pretty pretty cool yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I, I've been talking about this for like two years that I'm going to get logic and I'm going to start recording again because I've got a, a great education in the physics of sound, in the art of recording, and the art of mixing, but I've never done it in the digital domain. Uh, back in my day, you know, when you wanted to do something tricky like that, it required a lot of patching and a lot of experimenting, and you often felt bad that it might be the end result might be something only another engineer would really appreciate and the people in the control room with you while you're mixing might not really get it or hear a big difference so i tended to shy away from doing things that were time consuming and experimental feeling like my clients would feel like i just wasted 15 minutes to pursue something that would only give me a cheap thrill and not them but now with plugins, you know, you can do this stuff so quickly that I'm so excited about the day when I get to try all these things that were in my head to try back in the day, and now I can actually do them and don't have to worry about clients because it'll just be me. <laughs> right, and that's a double-edged sword, of course, right? So, you, you know, it's great that we can try these things, and then, you know, you want a phaser, there it is, do a plug-in. I mean, you want a chorus or a tremolator or a tremolo or a auto pan i mean it's two seconds later that you have it right yeah so the ability to experiment is in, in discovering new ways and fresh ideas and approaches is endless and that's fantastic but guess what the negative side is it's endless right. <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> it is endless so you can certainly go down a rabbit hole in fact, um, yeah, I had, it's this guy that I really like, a guy named Jonathan I spoke to about an hour ago. He was, you, you may know these kids. They have a great little group called the Streetlight Cadence. And, uh, they're, oh, yeah, they're, I know them well. Exactly, guys, yeah. So he asked me, we were talking a little bit about this stuff. And you know, one of the sort of side ideas that mm, we touched upon is that, you know, you can spend, if you're not careful, a month on a mix, you know, and there's just endless things that you can do, you know, and, and it is... It is a discipline to turn that that you know to be smart about what's the important stuff and and you know what's what's going to really serve the song. You know, I, I keep coming back to that phrase forever, and that is what's going to serve the song best. You know, and sometimes it is just a bunch of engineering drivel. You know, right? Yeah, the rabbit hole frightens me. Uh, I I don't really have an obsessive compulsive personality. But stick me behind anything audio, and I, I develop one very quickly. <laughs> yeah, and, and normally, I mean, you know, that's part of the joy of what we do is to discover new things, and you know, oh, there it goes again. I forgot to update, so let's do this. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this again. Let's switch the plugin. Uh, okay, so what should we go for next? Let's do. Um, was the master let's do do we do the m1 limiter light already i think that was the first thing you did um okay so let's go uh let's go i'm a bass player so let's go bass bus light Ooh, bass bus light i remember when he oh, came out with that thing people were talking about it online they loved it um yeah that's good on the bass I use it all the time so yeah uh yeah, it's, it's the being engineers and being like that kind of thing, you know, it's always been 
you know, exciting to, to find new things. And, um, and, and when you start doing it professionally, as you just mentioned, with the client in the room, you know, guess what? They're not going to sit around that long with the clock ticking on studio time, you know, while you, you know, explore the, the next, I don't know, spend three hours on getting a kick sound. You know, that's maybe not, I don't know how well that will go over. I guess it depends on how good the kick sound is, but, <laughs> you know, you know, the clock is usually ticking, you know, in a professional situation. So, What is a pro-level studio, I mean like a world-class top 10 pro studio, if you're not locking it out, you know, uh, if you just wanted to like buy a, a eight or a 12 hour a day to do a mix, what does that generally cost nowadays? Um, you can, you can, you know, some studios will let you book out four hours at a time. It's usually between 100 and 150 an hour. You know, maybe some of the bigger rooms might be a couple hundred an hour. I'd say on average, on you know, if you're going to do a four-hour block, you could probably get it for, you know, a top studio for maybe, you know, six or eight hundred. They might they might have a minimum. Wow, that's you know, actually uh, those... twelve-hour day at one hundred and fifty bucks an hour would be eighteen hundred bucks. So those prices are pretty in line with what they were back in the seventies and eighties. And they may be lower right now or higher because of COVID, you know, I don't know. But that's, you know, that's my experience. I've been, it hasn't changed all that much to me, you know. Amazing. I mean, a great studio, you know, you know that they have great mics, great rooms. There's usually a runner. There's usually a great assistant engineer that knows, you know, can be real helpful with all kinds of things. And, um, and an on-site maintenance person, which can be really critical when you're working with a big artist and something goes south. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, the studios and the rooms are a big part, but also the staff, you know. And when you have, you know, if you're going to record, let's say, a double quartet where there's eight string players in the room or, or even 12, boy, if it's 20, you're going to have a conductor and you're going to have an arranger baby in there. And, that's got to go smooth and you have to have the right mics in the right place and if a mic goes down you know it's got to be replaced real quick you know and that's where that studio is super important you know when you have union musicians in the room and, and, and they're not you know they're not cutting you a break if you go all the time you know generally there's a union guy watching the clock so that's you know studios can't be um I mean, you can't overappreciate it. They just—I just appreciate the way they're run and, and the good ones like Capital and East West, and they're just—you know—they're awesome. You know, awesome. Um, let's take the next question that we got on Facebook. This one's from Tom uh, Zellner, I believe, is how you pronounce his name. Hi, Rob. What are some of the current vocal processing trends for country music? And then he also wants to know about guitars. But let's stick with vocals for a moment. So what was that? One more time on that, please. Uh, what are some of the current vocal processing trends for country music? I don't do a lot of country music. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what they're doing in country music. I do listen to some country music, uh, but it's more like the country pop stuff. Um, one of the vocal trends, generally speaking, in pop, um, I mean, vocals are really pretty bright these days you know there's a lot of super high air on the vocals 
Um, they tend to be pretty compressed and the breaths, you know, have to be ducked because of it. Uh, and the trend that I've seen is moving definitely towards more reverb and reverse reverbs and other things and those vocal effects, those, those would be really popular. They have been for a while now. And I really like them. I think some of that's really cool stuff. So I don't know if that helps at all. But. Yeah, it does. Um, any good advice for uh, kind of favorite processing trends for guitars? He didn't specify electric or, or acoustic, so whichever way you want to go on that. Well, pretty much every guitar that I ever compress uses an LA-3A. So um, in terms of processing the raw signal, if it's in a mix, it tends to be an LA-3A. If I'm going to record an electric guitar, it's generally going through a Neve and an LA-3A. It depends on the mic and the sound, but those tend to work, you know, nine times out of ten. Um, I do like, for effects, I, I like, uh, the crystallizer is pretty cool. Oh, there's the alarm again. Uh, maybe this thing is just keep notifying me, like, because I don't turn it off or something. It's probably what's <laughs> happening. It feels uh, like so it's the been... crystallizer is cool. I also like, um, Valhalla came out with something cool, which is a dynamic delay. That's worth checking out. Hmm. Um... There's another company that I like, um, and they'll, um, uh, they are called, I just downloaded this uh, parallel type compressor. Oh, what are they called? Oh, I just tried it out the other day and I thought it was really cool. They are called, i check my email because they wrote me, um, Baby Audio. Yeah, so these guys over at Baby Audio are doing good. You know, they have some good stuff. Um, I like um, Echo Boy. I think that's really good. Um, I like I like all the Wave stuff. I think that stuff is made really well. I like the Soft Tube stuff. They make good stuff. I tend not to like things that don't have like a ton of graphics. Like I don't, I don't need to see what it's doing. You know, I don't want to see waves bouncing up and down and, you know, you know, X, Y axis and stuff like that. I, that stuff is just goofy to me, you know, but I guess, you know, some folks like that stuff. I don't, I don't tend to like it. I usually turn those windows off. I just want it to sound good. I don't care how it looks. Um, yeah. As I read, uh, it's funny, about three hours ago at the office, uh, Liz was there today, uh, the lady who does our member service stuff, and she brought me in, uh, she'd gone downstairs to get the mail, and she brought me in a Sound on Sound, a recording magazine, and some other magazine, and I was thumbing through, and I saw some software where you literally draw your EQ curve, and uh, I, I chuckled to myself because... I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just biased because I grew up in an era where you turned a knob and you knew what you were, you pretty much knew what you were going to get because you learned your gear. And I guess it's better in a sense to be able to sit there and take your finger and run it across a curve, and, you know, and peek it or dip it or do whatever you do with it. But it seems like a very scientific approach to something that should be more art than science. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's probably, you know, kids these days have a different approach because they grew up with the computers, so I understand, you know, right. the, um, the attraction to that. But for guys like you and me, and, you know, everyone, and actually everybody these days, we hear it all the time, you know, well, is the Fairchild that Universal Audio puts out as good as the Waves one, and does it really sound like a Fairchild? Well, the answer is, they're all pretty good. And no, none of them really sound like a Fairchild, because no two Fairchilds sound alike. You know, depend, they sound different, you know. Right. So, um, you know, and no two Pultecs really sound alike. They have a sound, you know, but maybe two don't sound alike. The tubes are older, one's you know, bias differently. It could be all kinds of different things. And also, you know, I'm looking at my uh, 1073, and you know, if it had the, mine doesn't have the EQ on it, the one I'm looking at. But a 3.2K doesn't sound the same on a Neve as it sounds on a Pultec EQ. I mean, they're different. Right. You know, so you know, some digital EQs you push 3.2K and. Um, it's not going to sound like a Neves 23.2K or Poltex 5K or whatever. It's just a different beast. It's the same as to me. I look at it like, well, okay, so I play guitar. I, I'm looking at my Rickenbacker and I'm looking at my Strat and I'm looking at my Telly. They all have six strings. They all, you know, I put my hand in the same place on every one of them. And all three of them sound completely different. Every one of them. So... Um, Chuck Erling wants to know when you're mixing an artist album how do you go about creating a mix that sounds good on any listening device do you mix with the streaming listener in mind the audio file or both you know that's that's a really really good question how the question is is how do you get your mix to sound good on all formats and there are guys um who may be able to give a better answer than I can, but it's taken me so long to, and I'm still working at it, right, to, to understand um, what a really good mix is. And the question really is saying, well, for, and rightfully, that a, a good mix should sound good on earbuds, it should sound good on NS10s, and it should sound good in the big clubs. And if you mix the record right, Truly, it should sound good in all of those. Now, if I'm mixing a club record, I might favor the bottom end a little bit differently than I would if I was doing uh, an indie record. And the instrumental, and the instrumentation, and the production would somehow dictate that. It would guide me, right? The song itself would guide me. And um, it comes back to that same phrase: is you know, what's going to serve the song the best? And in trying to figure that out, sometimes there's, you know, um, you know, you you do have to consider how heavy do you want the bottom end, and and whether you get it right or you don't get it right is really about being familiar with your listening environment and the speakers and the, and how consistent you're able to be. Pedro Martinez was a very consistent pitcher, right? Right. So, you know, that's what we endeavor to be, you know, consistent in our work. And I think that every day, if we can just get a tiny bit better, then we, you know, stand a better chance of turning out better and more consistent mixes. And I think that in my life has been 
you know, about knowing and understanding my speakers and my tools. So much so, I don't know if you told me this or somebody, when I was starting in 1989, all the studios had NS10s in them. And people still knock NS10s. People say, why do you listen to those? Well, you know what? I do, Manny does, you know, Jason does, and Dave does, and, you know, Tom does, and Chris does, and everybody listens to NS10. There's got to be something about them, you know. So, so starting there was a good was a good indicator. Bob Claremont used them. That's that's what led me to use them. Okay. Yeah. And he's you know widely considered the greatest mixer of all time. I would say, or the father of modern mixing, to say the least. Right. Yeah. So that was good enough for me. So I put those in my car. I put those in my you know I got a pair and put them in my little apartment. And I use them to this day, and you know, because I I set out, I wanted to learn what those speakers were telling me, and I had to learn those speakers. And and is is like a girlfriend, you know. I fell in love with them, and I wanted to know every part about that speaker that I could. And you know, over the years, many speaker companies have come to me to endorse them, and I won't even listen to their speakers. That's the last thing I'm going to change after you know a long career is my speakers so whether it's an ns10 or any other speaker that you choose just know that speaker and how it works really learn it you know really learn it uh that would be my piece of advice i mean i know that was a hell of a long answer probably something nobody wanted to hear but you know that's that was my approach to it you know and i agree with everything you said and i don't think there's such a thing as any mix that will sound exactly the same. I think it's it's physically uh, and sonically impossible for a mix to sound the same on earbuds as it would through a car stereo. I hate car stereos, by the way. Most of them really suck. Um, and and you, you have to kind of triangulate. And, and like you said, if you know your monitors, you know what's going to sound pretty darn good in most situations, but clearly listening on earbuds versus um, through your home stereo or your TV, you know, those, I mean, they're all going to sound different. That's right. That's right. And, you know, and if you, you know, if I do my job, then the record is going to communicate the song and the production properly on all those different mediums. As it should. I mean, that's your job, really. And, and and sonically is only part of it. And I'd say, to be honest, it's not the, the biggest part. The biggest part is it's got to feel good on all of them. I mean, it's got if it's you know it's got to feel good to the listener. The listeners don't an, analyze well. Is it bright? Is it bassy? Is it you know? Is the mid range right? Is there a bump at two K? Like listeners don't think that. Your average guy just thinks, do I like the song? You know. Yeah. And the truth is, is some of my, you know, I listen to some records that are on the radio and I think, ah, I missed that little piece, but, you know, hey, <laughs> people look at me and say, what are you talking about? You know, well, yeah, you said it earlier, just engineer guys geek out on this stuff. And uh, and I said that earlier today, you know, all right, there's a song called um, Don't Walk Away by Jade, which came out in about 1990 or 91. And that cowbell is so damn loud, but it is so cool, you know. That, I didn't mix it, but uh, Victor, um, uh, oh God, what was his last name? 
Oh, he's listening. He's going to be mad at me. <laughs> uh, the show's well, not that uh, Great remixer, great mixer. But he, he mixed the song, and that cowbell is louder than hell. And I'm thinking, if I mixed that song, I would have turned that down. And I, you know what? He made the right call. <laughs> you know, sometimes those imperfections are cool. Right. You know? We're going to switch to drum bus light now, everybody. Okay. Go get your drum bus light and giving it all away. I love taxi people. <laughs> They're loving you in the chat room today. They're all complimenting you on how incredibly generous you are. Well, I'd like to give back a little, you know, when we can. So it's all good. My pleasure. You know. Yeah, the, the day the, uh, that I finally, um, you know, set up a DAW on my computer, uh, I'm going to call you up and have you give me a code for an hour. Uh, hopefully, you'll, you'll give me a free one of everything, too. No chance. <laughs> oh, man. No chance. Um, okay, let's move on to another question. Um, let's see. Uh, hi, Rob. Shall I place plugins like EQ, compressors, and reverb on tracks or on buses or on the master bus? Okay. Common question. Great question. Everybody needs to know these answers. So, which? So, start from the first one. Which was the first one he wanted to know about? Um, plugins like EQ. Okay. So, plugins like EQ. Okay. So, here's the thing, and I'm going to give you the instead of telling you this high-level voodoo stuff, right? I'd like to just give you like the right answer for 99% of the stuff you're going to do, or 90%, okay? So for 90% of the stuff, if you're going to, if you want it for a lead vocal, okay, put the EQ, the first thing you put on there, in my opinion, are the filters, meaning a high-pass filter or a low-pass filter. That's the first thing, which is a form of EQ, really. Mm -hmm. So EQs, bam. Filters first, followed by an EQ. And if you look like you had a channel strip for an SSL, it's generally set up that way. That's the way I use it. So filters first, EQ second, generally speaking. Easy answer. Yeah. Um, how about compressors? Followed by the compressor. Generally. Sometimes no, but uh, filters, in fact, if I was to elaborate, I would say filters first, Compressor second and EQ third. Why? Because if there's a lot of low end information, it's going to hit that compressor. And I tend to filter that out and then I go to the compressor. Okay? And then follow the compressor by an EQ. Why? Because if I've got the compressor after an EQ and I boost 3K, well, that 3K is going to hit that compressor harder and you're going to be fighting against the compressor. Great advice. Okay, so, so now we've taken that first simple answer and say, okay, we're going to introduce a compressor. Okay, filter, then compressor, then EQ, all right? That, and that'll get, that, won't, that will not get you in trouble. It may not be the answer to every single thing, but nothing is. That won't get you in trouble. So what's the next thing? Next thing is reverb on tracks or on buses or on the master bus. Okay, so I never put it on the master bus. Very rarely do I put it on the master bus, only in the case of rare instances. Uh, I, I always, let's say 90%, 99% of the time, 
it's on an ox. Okay? We can talk about why in a second. But earlier in this call, I talked about how I broke that rule and compressed the reverb. So folks that heard the earlier part, well, that was an exception to the rule that I tried recently, which was to, you know, put a reverb on a vocal channel and then compressed it, you know, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But generally speaking, no, you you take, you know, you have a vocal track that's recorded, let's say your lead vocal, and, uh, you know, what we should do is we should do an example of this next time. I don't know how we could do it, but when we get past the COVID, I'll take a session in and I'll, I'll give examples of them. We can tie it, tie it in and, and, and do inserts and show you how the differences affect the vocal or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that great idea. That might be idea. real cool. Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. We can do it on drums and it'll be real easy. I'll get a session set up and everybody can hear what the differences are. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so... Um, yeah, you would take the lead vocal, filter it, compress it, EQ it next, and then you would take a send, send that to an aux where your reverb would sit. Why is that important? Well, if you start doing rides on the lead vocal, meaning moving the levels up and down, and if you had the reverb in that channel, well, you also ride in the reverb up and down, which is not really what you want to do because you start hearing that and it sounds terrible. You know, it sounds terrible. Um, but but there are exceptions to every rule. For example, if you listen to Roxanne by the Police, like one of the things that are that's amazing about that record is that it sounds like some of the reverbs were recorded, and they punched in on them, so you can hear the reverbs cutting in and out. Right. Did it matter on that song? Hell no, it didn't matter. It's cool, you know. So so you know, if you write a song like Roxanne, you know, you probably can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, along the same line, uh, and I know we've talked about this on previous shows, but it, it's a question that you can't answer often enough, I believe. How many reverbs are too many? Um, you and I, have, I I'm trying to, to dissect his question a little more because he says drums, snare in the room, lead vocals, background, each with their own. So I guess the question boils down to, do you use two or three reverbs, put them on aux sends, and use them where they're needed? Or are you one of those people that sets up a separate reverb environment for each instrument, you know, and have like five or six different reverbs going on? I've never had five or six reverbs going on, ever. I have seen mixes that came to me with people with their Pro Tools sessions that have had many reverbs. Now, sometimes there are reverbs that are there for an effect, like let's say a big snare and there's a one-hit thing. Right. But I'm not talking about that. Or like a vocal where there's a reverse reverb for an effect. I'm, I'm not, not talking about that. I don't think the question is about that, like those odd things that happen in songs for effect's sake. But in terms of a vocal reverb and drum reverbs, well... Um, I like to quote Paul McCartney on this one, and if anyone's seen the music movie Let It Be, he turns to George Harrison and he says something like, you know, let's, let's begin simple and complicate it later. I think it's too complicated. Mm. So can we simplify it, and then, and then we'll see what we need to do from that point. Something like that. So when it comes to reverbs and delays, 
I like to be simple about it. I start simple, and if the really vocal reverb, I mean, look at that's the, generally the most important thing. You know, choosing that room that the vocal sits in is is important. Now, maybe there'll be two of them on the lead vocal to give it a denser feel. That I do that, you know, maybe a short room and a long room or something, or a hall or whatever it may be. But, you know, and then maybe the guitars would have, I don't know, a spring or a plate on them. Um, and generally speaking, the drums, unless it's a live kit, Maybe I'd put a plate on the snare or something, or a drum room, or some short reverb on them. Uh, but most stuff doesn't have a lot of reverb on the drums these days, unless it's a trailer thing or you know something right. like that. But um, so even though I think I just said three reverb, one for the vocal, maybe one for the guitars might have a slightly different thing, you know, um, because you know. Historically, we've become accustomed to spring reverbs on guitars, right? The Fender spring, the Silvertone springs, you know. So, so that becomes part of the guitar's tone. So, if I think that might help it, I might just, you know, send it off to a little spring reverb or something, you know. Uh, but no, I don't. Six reverbs would be too. Would probably be five too many for me. Yeah, I, I remember back in the day. Again, the smoke and mirrors—they charge by the hour. Engineers. Uh, you know, some of whom I, I worked with back in the mid '70s, and when I was just a pup coming up, I, I was amazed that they would spend a day or two getting a drum sound. Sometimes they would spend an entire day working on all the different reverbs for one mix on one song, and I came to realize I could never hear the difference. Um, to, I, I, it's just like, why the hell wouldn't you have like a plate and a room, and just put them on send one, send two, send it out mono in most cases, bring it back stereo. That generally worked pretty well. Like you said, less is more, you know, and simple is better. Uh, and I realized yeah, and these guys... guys did. And, you know, the, the capital chambers and the great plates in town that people used, I mean, those things tried, true, and tested, and they've been in hundreds, thousands of hits, you know. I mean, it's like a microphone. If you choose the right microphone, you don't need a lot of EQ. And I've been for... You know, I don't usually do a lot of live recording anymore, unless it's a live. If I get hired, and I do, you know, up until COVID, all the time to record live drums right. or live strings, which I love to do, okay? Because, you know, it's just something that I'm passionate about. And, you know, almost every time, the people who see me for the first time, like, what do, you, do you want an EQ on the snare drum? No, I don't. Do you want a compressor on it? Absolutely not. Do you want an EQ on the kick? No, I don't. Do you want a compressor? Nope. Do you want anything on the strings? No, I don't. Why don't you use compressors and EQs? I'll tell you why. I like to choose it. I know what the song is. I place the mic. I choose the mic. I choose the preamp. And if I can get that signal onto tape the right way, I don't need a lot of that stuff. I haven't used an EQ in recording drums in at least 30, 29 years. Wow. I'll, give, I'll, I'll go two years... I did a little bit on the early days, but I don't anymore. I, I don't. I don't use any EQ on recording strings. Not a chance. I get the right mics, the right preamps, and put them in the right position. You know, and you'll find the same thing is true. And you know this for vocals. You know, you put a good microphone in front of the right voice. Yeah. If you choose it correctly with the right preamp, what are you dialing a bunch of EQ for? I mean, it's you know, if it doesn't sound great, you know. Well, maybe it's time to choose to swap the mic out, you know. 
I mean, it's 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 an art, and you know, um, when you recorded me years and years ago, you know, you had great drum sounds. You know what a good drum sound is. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe the drums don't sound that good, and then you have to maybe tune it. Yeah. Or you have to choose a different mic, or you have to give it more distance. You know, distance is the key, whether it's a guitar, a snare drum. Sometimes, you know, when I cut vocals, most singers, I they want to be a foot away from the mic, and I get that, and that works for some stuff, but usually I'll say, hey, man, I want you right up on it. I don't kiss that microphone because I love that sound. You know, something happens, you know, it gets proximity effect. It's a, It gets all of that you know, growl from the throat. I just love that sound, you know. So, um, I guess it's just a matter of taste. For me, I don't do a lot of that stuff. I don't use tons of EQ. I don't need, I don't feel the need to use a bunch of reverbs. And and I would really be curious because I could be dead wrong. I hate to say it. I'd like to call, in fact, I'm going to call Manny this week and, you know, I've known him for years and I'll see what he thinks. You know, maybe I'll share that someday and report back or Dave or these guys that I that I know in the business and we'll see, you know, maybe that's something that we ought to do sometimes, get a few of us in the round table and talk about it. You know, I'd love to know how they approach it, you know. I would love to try an experiment. Take a great sounding room, which I'm going to put my money on Sphere, which uh, you turned me on to. One, uh, uh-huh. I, I love just the feel and the sound of the the recording room itself. Um, The control room looked amazing, had great, incredible array of gear in there. I would love to take the same drum kit in the same position in the room and have like four different engineers um, each get a drum sound on that same kit. All four would sound, they would all sound great, but they would all sound different because we all have different tastes and different approaches, even though it's the same kit. I would even go as far as saying maybe, um, I was going to say keep the same mics, but no, that would, that wouldn't be fun. Um, so, so let's tell drum sounds, right? You know, a friend, I want to say good for him because I know him that well, but he's a fantastic, you know, iconic engineer, Ross Hogarth. So he's known for his drum sound. Many people really love what he does, you know. Yeah. Which is totally different than me. And I watched him at the NAMM show talk briefly about how he EQs drums a few years ago. And I thought, well, that's really interesting, you know. And, I, you know, he, he mentions things that I never would have thought of, you know. He's, he's come across, you know, approaches, you know. And I also read an article about Hugh Padgett, who did The Police and Genesis and, um, you know, Phil Collins back in the day and many others. And, you know, he's the one that, that article in Mix Magazine, if you can dig it up, talked about, you know, distance between the microphone and the drum head. You know, because up until that point, every mic that I used was like an inch away from the, the head of the drum. And he said distance. So I said, oh, well, well I got to consider how far away that microphone ought to be from a floor tom. And maybe it's not the same distance that the snare should have or the small tom. And depending on the tuning, or if it's a jazz record where I want it more open, or if it's a rock record where I want it, you know, tighter, or whatever, or do I want Van Halen? Listen to the Van Halen drum sound. I don't know how they got that. It's awesome. It's cool. On Zeppelin, you know. Yeah. So all of those those things, you know, that's a that's a great art. Which you can probably tell I'm excited just talking about stuff like that. I love doing that stuff. Um, you know, I I'm you know. Um, I went into, and um, there's a great studio called the House of Blues Studios up in Encino. 
Right. It was one of my favorite rooms, and they had a great Neve and a great mic collection. I went in, and, and I, the guy asked for my mic set up, and I said, well, I want a C12A on the snare. And the guy said, oh, well, I can't do that. I said, of course you can do that, but the C12A, and we think he's going to hit the microphone. He's not going to hit your microphone. <laughs> You know, and I want, you know, you, you know, I want 40, I asked for 47 FETs on all the time. He said, oh, we can't do that. I said, well, you're going to do it, you know. <laughs> and he put him, and then we get, the guy, guy sits down at the drum set, you turn the fader, it sounds amazing. Of course it sounds amazing. I just put $15,000 worth of microphones on the drums, you know. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> you know, you wanted me to use a $99 SM57, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny I, I actually I've been in that room several times what a great room it was kind of like um, it felt like if you built a studio in your parents basement in 1973 and put like you know the paisley wall hangings yeah. up and the incense burning and the lava lamps uh, it was that kind of room it sounded awesome yeah yeah and it should I mean think about it you know think about it when you have a I don't know what a FET 47 vintage would cost. Probably seven or eight grand. Let's say five grand, you know, three toms. That's 15 grand right there. And the C12A in vintage perfect condition is probably, you know, six or seven grand. You know, you, I mean, that's a, lots, a couple of overheads, you know, vintage, you know, 251s or 47s or whatever I use. You're all of a sudden get, you know, $50,000 worth of drum mics. It better sound good, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you think about that's the benefit of a great studio. You know, you can you have access to the mic collection, which is, um, you know, who's gonna? If I did that, I'd be in divorce court. I mean, not today, but I'd be there this afternoon. <laughs> you know, not tomorrow. I mean, if my wife came back and she's like, "What the hell is all this?" Oh yeah, I just spent forty grand on some mics. <laughs> 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 you can storm at my house. I won't tell your wife where they are. Yeah, but then I wouldn't be able to use them. Yeah, but that's a funny thing, you know. Everybody, I can't. I got to be honest. I can't stand the sound of an SM57. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. People love it. Can't I know. Stand I, it. I happen to love them. I know you can't say it. That's probably the only thing that you and I vehemently disagree on is the 57. <laughs> Let's talk about the 47 FETs. You're talking about the regular old Norm, Neumann 47 FET that was probably like a 70s. I think they came out in the, yeah. in the 70s. I had those in every studio I ever worked in and never loved that microphone. Didn't hate it, but didn't love it. I always preferred an 87 over the 47 FET. Try them on toms. <laughs> I did. You know, okay. I always, I tried so many different things on floor toms. Of course, it depends on the head and the drummer and the size of the drum and the song and how hard the drummer's hitting all, you know, what kind of room you're recording in, all those things. But you know, I, I've done 414s on a floor tom. I've done 87s on a floor tom. I've done 47 FETs on a floor tom. Um, and and the, I think I've said this before on the show, the only micro, only application for a Sennheiser 441, you know, that long, square. Yeah, I like those. I, 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 yeah, Ken Calais loves that microphone. Used them on a lot of Fleetwood Mac vocals. Um, I never liked that microphone, but it always sounded great on a floor tom from like four inches away. Yeah, they do sound good on toms. I prefer them over the 421s generally, which is more commonly used. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but if I had the choice on most records, well, I wouldn't say most records, but, you know, um, 
Yeah, I mean, just a matter of taste. It is. You know, it really is. It all is. That's that's the key. People want, you know, give me a formula, give me a prescription, give me that magic thing that you do that when I use it, it's going to sound great. And it probably won't on the record you guys are working on pointing to the camera now um, because it's a different song in a different room with a different group of players. All those things are variables. Um, Right. So you and I go into the studio and the same record comes up. If we get the same track and if you mix it, you know, and I mix it, they're going to sound completely different, but I'm going to tell you what's going to be the same. I mean, the vocal level's going to be correct. I mean, you're not going to be off by a dB more than a dB. Neither am I. (laughs) Nobody's going to be off by that much. I mean, a dB is a long way to to go, right? Your your vocal level's going to be good. The drum levels and the relationships are going to be good. But the matters of taste will be a little bit different, right? Yeah, you won't find five, you know, visual artists, painters that are going to paint the Mona Lisa the same way. Yeah, but they'll all look good. They'll be good painting. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Exactly. So here's a question I don't think I've ever asked you in all the years we've known each other, and God knows we've spent countless hours talking about this stuff. Is there one particular song that you think is your favorite mix? Maybe not even your best mix, but one where you go, I hear that mix and go, man, I nailed it. No. <laughs> no, but I can tell you that there are mixes that I love that, that aren't perfect mixes. I'll name some for you. You mm-hmm. ready? Yeah. Okay, so so if you want to know where I'm, you know, what I, what I find to be stunning mixes, okay, and they're not perfect mixes. None of them are, which is why I think I love them so much. Number one, Frank Sinatra and Count Basie. It's called um, Pennies from Heaven. And it's off the album called um, Sinatra and Basie, a musical first. That's the version, not any other version, that version. Just listen to that record someday. Blast it. It's incredible. Sinatra and Basie, a musical first. That's the album, and the song is called Pennies from Heaven. Okay? That's incredible. It's as good as any mix ever, ever constructed in the history of recorded music. And um, Crimson and Clover, the original version by Tommy James and the Shondells, the stereo version where the Hoffner bass, it sounds like, is in one speaker and, like, you know, there's the vibrato guitar in another and you can hear punches and stuff in it. You know, give a good listen to that one. You know, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty shocking, mm-hmm. you know, how they, got, how they put a vocal through a vibrato and a Fender basement amp or a Fender uh, Tremolux amp or something, you know, what? I mean, talk about crazy, you know, talk about crazy. Um, those two records come immediately to mind. And, um, and if you were to go and, and almost every, at least three nights a week, I go on YouTube and I search out old records. So there's a great, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of great YouTube videos. One of them goes through the baking of pet sounds and they have outtakes of, you know, um, you know, the making of good vibrations. Well, you know, listen to those vocal recordings, you know, and, you know, it's stunning how good it is, you know, 
all the Beatles recordings are good, but you know, I'm trying to mention some things that might be a little bit, you know, a little bit different that people might not always go to. And those, those are pretty cool. Um, yeah, those those guys come immediately to mind. I'm sure a couple others will pop up, but Crimson and Clover is is, is something else. There's another one by um, um, what's the group? Um, the group is, the song is called Carry In, and it's by um, like uh, Buffalo Springfield. Wasn't that the Hollies? Who was it? The Hollies. The Hollies. That's correct. The Hollies. The original recording of Carrie Ann, when those harmonies come in, I mean, listen, you know, <laughs> you know, all the mamas and papas records, you know, with all that reverb, I mean, right. go try to do that, man, you know, try to do it, try to do it, <laughs> you know, good luck, you know, you know, those are pretty cool records, and those are old ones, but, um, you know, and I can name stuff like, I like the sound of Rihanna's records, I like John Mayer's records, I like... You know, uh, the gospel, you know, the stuff I did with Kirk Franklin, if you would ask me what the best stuff is, that's really, I feel very proud of. And Jonathan McReynolds and Charles Jenkins and those guys, I think, those guys come immediately to mind. But I don't think that it's because of me, you know. I don't think it's a mind mix. And I think maybe that's why I'd be hesitant to say it. I feel like they're so good at what they do that it makes my job easy. And it truly does. And maybe folks who haven't been in the room with such great talent as these guys, or Stevie Wonder, for example. I mean, come on! You know, the job is not the job is not to screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) Remember the night that you and I went out to dinner with Jeff Emmerich? I think it was like a three and a half, four hour dinner. Is there any one particular thing that Jeff Emmerich told us that night that you remember as like, oh man, that you know was the gem? Um, it was all, they were all gems, but what comes immediately to mind is when he was talking about, and you were talking about the metering and how the meters are so complicated, you know, and he said, the meters don't tell you anything these days. And I thought, you know what, you know, back in the days you had these analog meters and you knew that when, you know, you're cutting a hi-hat, it should be at minus 20 or minus 10 because you couldn't overload the tape, right? Because then you'd get that distortion. And the kick drum you could peg, you know, and you could get that tape compression. And, you know, the meters told you something. It communicated something to you. You remember that part of the chat? Yeah, I do. And I thought, you know what, that's a great point that he made. And, um... And I really remember that because, you know, in those days, we would we, we understood what the meter, meter was telling us because we knew how hard we were hitting the tape. We knew what we could do if there was low frequencies or high frequencies. And we could use the tape to capture it and do something extra with it, right? So if you, if you wanted the kick to sound a little fatter, you might cut it a little hot. Or you might over-bias the tape or under-bias the tape, depending on how you wanted it to sound. You know, and those things are a part of that art, you know, that, that I don't think, you know, that I loved, but I don't think, you know, um, you know, certainly don't get to do that anymore, you know. And I think that was a, a good part of, you know, what made those records sound the way they do. You know, listen to Bob Marley. And we, we play these classic masters almost every year at, at the taxi seminar that I do. You know, we break out the Bob Marley or the, you know, Marvin Gaye or something. And you listen to those records and how great they sound, you know. Um, 
can hear all the tape hiss and everything else, but it doesn't, you know, it's shocking how good those vocals are. There's no auto-tune on them. <laughs> Not a drop. What was the Marvin Gaye song? Uh, oh, gosh, I can never remember the name of it. It was up-tempo. It's not what's going on. Um, it could be Ain't No Mountain High Enough. It could be, uh, you know, Mercy, Mercy Me. You know, that's another big one. It could be, uh, you know, What's Going On. Uh, it's so many great hits, you know. I'm going to Google it real quick. I was just re-listening to that, like, a month or so ago i must have listened five or six times in a row and it put a lump in my throat made the hair of my arm stand up got me a little teary-eyed i am known to do that i have literally heard performances or mixes or engineering that will literally choke me up i'm so proud of whoever did it and that was one of them uh, i can't remember the name of yeah them. Those 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 records. Uh, in fact, speaking of mixes, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, you may have seen this movie, and I hope every taxi member has seen this movie. Um, um, well, of course, Bang, which you showed at Taxi, which was amazing which three you, years ago. Yeah, you turned me on to a great movie. But there's another one which I saw probably five times in the last once, at least once a month for the four and a half months of COVID, and that is called Hitsville: The Making of Motown. Now, let me tell you something. Anyone doing music has to watch that at least twice. Because Smokey and, uh, and, and, uh, and Barry Gordy are, are taking you through this, this period of the Motown record era. And they, they visit the Hitsville studio, and then they've got, they show tapes of Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and their auditions and their, you know, Martha and the Vandellas and... and it's just amazing with the history and how they talk about the mixes and how they worked on the music, how my girl came together. And, you know, it's just, it's just so brilliant. And there's so much to learn from it, you know, and here we are at our age, you know, we watch this stuff, not that I'm terribly old. I don't want to say that, but Hey, uh, you know, and we've done it for so many years and I'm still stunned and how much there is to learn. <laughs> and there's an awful lot to learn, you know, awful lot. My main awful. takeaway from watching that movie was how many times they wanted a particular artist to cut a song and either the artist passed on it or the writers really wanted somebody else under the Motown roof to cut it. And, and you just sit there and think, yeah, I wonder if Diana Ross had done that song instead of Smokey. Would it have been right. a hit, you know? I mean, it's so much of making those hits was who ended up recording them. Yeah, and then, and, 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 and right, and to add to that, you know, Heard It Through the Grapevine was originally, I guess, Marvin, and then, but it didn't get released, but then Gladys Knight had a number one with it, which was really the first hit of it, but then it was redone on Marvin. And, you know, you hear the A&R meetings when Barry Gordy's asking, well, what do you think of my girl? And one guy said, well, I'm not so sure. I don't think it's really a hit. You know, somebody <laughs> else says, well, I think it's a good record. You know, nobody's really all that enthusiastic about it. And then they're talking about these other, you know, math, all, like in one meeting, they talked about like five or six smash number one classic records. And, and they didn't know what they had. I mean, Barry Gordy apparently did. And some guys had a good sense of it. But you can hear that, you know, even with those great classic songs, in the moment, there was a degree of uncertainty. And why do I bring that up? It's because we all live with that every day we make a record or write a song. 
and, and you think that these guys were flawless because of their great track record, but they still had that. They, they wondered. You yeah. know, they doubted just like, like we do. You know, is the mix right? And they talk about, Smokey makes a joke about um, Barry Gordy mixing and mixing the 500 mixes or 200 mixes and using mix number three. You know, right. and you know we all still do the same thing, and it's and it's and it's and it's a relief to hear that that they had their own self doubts, and they you know were always you know pursuing perfection, and you know and knowing whether you got it or not is you know that's a tough thing you know when you're being creative, it, it really is. This leads to a question I got very early on in today's show from somebody in the chat room. How do you avoid overproduction? You know, there was a, uh, <laughs> I don't know if my wife told me this or something, you know, the third graders were all, you know, you know, you, you go into the room of the third graders, it's parents' day, and you look up on the wall and all the pictures are really nice, you know. And then you go to the fourth graders and they all suck, you know. And, um, and so, yeah, you ask the third grade teacher, you know, why are your pictures so great and why um, why the fourth graders' pictures not not so good? And the teacher says, well, because I took the crayons away after 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> you know, so how do you over? I mean, I got to tell you, when I did Men in Black, it was overproduced, and you know, and I would say in my defense that you know I tried to pull the plug, but it was too many cooks. You know, I, I tried to simplify things, um, and that's and that's tricky when you have an artist, any artist who wants to add stuff, and then or a producer, and maybe the artist wants to. It could be any dynamic, but but. But understanding that more is not more. It's not better. It doesn't make it better. The question is, is what's the appropriate amount, you know? And in the movie Amadeus, you know, Mozart says there's just as many notes as are required, not a single note more, not a single note less, sire. <laughs> and I've remembered that quote, um, which I probably flubbed a little bit, but, you know, it's tricky to know when it's too much. And sometimes things can get cluttered because as musicians, especially being trained, for me, I was trained in jazz and classical music, so I don't mind hearing a little mess, you know. But most people want simplicity, you know. So it's it's difficult to take your own crayon away and say, you know what, it's done. So, so it's the short answer, and you've heard me say it many times, is when a mix or a production is done is when I get to the end of the song and I think it sounds great. Accept it. Yeah. yeah. Print it. It's hard not to second guess. Uh, that's the other thing that scares me about having a home studio is I I would just obsess and just keep doing and redoing and redoing. But um, I've been trying to get, there's a new artist that's like screaming up the radio charts on smooth jazz, Gato Blanco. Uh -huh. um, and I've been trying to get him to come on the record. show. What? There's a good record. It's a great record, and uh, it's like funny. Nobody knows of this guy or knew of the guy. Now you know he's like busting out all over the place. Gato Blanco, and uh, but he's very enigmatic. You know, it's like he says, "Yeah, you know," uh, in kind of broken English. I'll come on the show, uh, meaning taxi TV. Uh, but uh, then he was tied up in the studio and couldn't make. As a matter of fact, I thought I had him booked for today. Anyway, I just people should go check out that record, Gato Blanco. Um, 
great sounding record. Um, one of my favorites lately. I've been listening to it and smiling a lot. Um, anything uh -huh. else? We're, we're at the end of our 90 minutes, which just went by ridiculously fast as it always does with you. I actually, I got to say, I'm sitting here looking at your chimney and I can't believe that we are about, what, 500 feet from each other and we haven't seen each other in four months or yeah, something? Yeah, you could, you could probably, if you hit it straight, you could hit a golf ball to my house easy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I would probably fly my drone over your house just to piss you off because I know how much you don't like drones flying around the neighborhood. <laughs> no, no. Hey, speaking, speaking of things flying around the neighborhood, did you see that black, all-black helicopter that was just hovering over the mountain I can't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday. It was like up there for like 10 or 15 minutes. They were clearly either looking for lost hikers or a mountain lion. But normally that's like, you know, one of the sheriff helicopters. This was all black and it stayed up there for, I don't know, maybe a half an hour. No, I didn't see it. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't hear it, actually. It was low. I mean, the mountain is 2,017 feet high and this thing was probably... 500 feet below the peak of the mountain clearly looking for something anyway um well man it's great hanging out with you again we we've got to uh do a zoom with our wives and uh maybe some quarantinis and just you know can't believe we haven't been out to dinner or hung out with you guys no fourth of july this year which is uh the lascos and shirelli's always spend new year's eve and the fourth of july together um so yeah, this is one of those, I mean, you know, didn't happen, but we'll figure it out. We'll make up for it as soon as this, this um, yeah, as soon as this COVID thing passes and hopefully we all get back and make some music and back to life as usual. Yeah, I also want to talk to you about, uh, we're doing the road rally online this year because the governor wow. still yeah we can't we're not allowed to do it at the hotel we can't officially say that yet because we're not in the 90-day cancellation window for the contract with the hotel but in all probability the road rally will in fact be online this year and yeah. i've been watching a lot of other people's stuff that they're doing online um and it's all pretty glitchy and laggy you know everybody's got different bandwidth at home so i'm trying to come up with incredibly good content that's incredibly easy to put online. So just roll that around in your noggin a little bit, um, what you wanna do for the rally this year. And uh, we'll talk further about that. And with that, I wanna say on behalf of everybody in the chat room, people are going like, man, thank you for the, uh, the plugins. Um, it really is incredibly generous of you. And I'm really happy that they get to use your stuff because uh, even though I've never used it, I hear incredibly good things about it. And uh, I think it's really nice that you're more than willing to give it away to taxi members. So thank you for that. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for everything you've done for me. And, and um, thanks to all of the great folks and friends I've met at Taxi throughout the years. It's, uh, you know, it's a special thing that you've been doing for um, how long is it now? 26 years? The rally, I I can't remember. No, if no, no, no. Taxi, taxi. Oh, taxi is twenty eight years old, heading for twenty nine. Yeah, oh I started Lord. at ninety two. Well, I still remember the first meeting. So. That's right. <laughs> Rob was there. That's incredible. Yep. Incredible, Rob. A lot of uh, a lot of good stuff happening. So. 
Rob was literally at the first meeting where I said, hey, guys, I've got an idea for this thing called Taxi. And I, I remember you kept saying, why would you call it Taxi? Why don't you call it Independent A&R or something? <laughs> yeah, but hold on. If you're going to tell that part of the story, you got to tell the other part where you're going to do like um, some, some golf machine that you were going to sell. Well, that was... I have... Yeah, yeah. Don't don't you were trying to you thinking of doing some golf thing. Yeah, I had virtual golf machine. Stop it! I'm gonna tell that right now. Virtual golf machine. I'm eating a Big Mac and the special sauce is falling out of my mouth, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I had an idea. There were these golf simulators that were incredibly good. They took up, you know, like the screens were like ten feet by ten feet. And they had a, a, a matrix of sensors behind them and then a laser that would read the spin of the ball. Uh, uh -huh. And I, I love to golf. I don't do it often, but I fell in love with these things. They're fascinating to me. And they're about 50000 or $60,000 a piece. And uh -huh. so I came up with two business plans. One was for a thing called the Corporate Country Club, where we would buy one of these machines and put it at the workout place. Like a lot of the big insurance companies actually have like state-of-the-art big gyms on their premises. So my thing was, I will buy the thing and I will put it in your gym or your workout center for free. And do you know that credit card um, swipers and modems didn't exist yet? So I actually had a guy, I think in Ohio or Michigan, build a credit card swiper modem. So and my thought was that the people at, let's say, you know, Farmers Insurance or wherever, could go there on their lunch hour, before work, after work, and hit balls. You could actually play like an 18-hole course and choose the course you're going to play on. Those things still exist. They're just much better and somewhat cheaper now. And uh, and yeah, would... my point is, is this was I just got to say that there was two possibilities here. Right. You definitely <laughs> took the right one. I mean, you know. <laughs> the golf thing, yeah. So I, I was going to either be in the business of the corporate country club, um, or taxi and uh, Rob was at the taxi meeting. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. All right, Robbo. Thank you so much for doing this and thank you for giving away those plugins. I'm sure everybody will love them. Um, Great. And let's make a point. Um, let's shoot for Saturday night, probably, or, <clears throat> excuse me, Saturday night, around nine o'clock uh, with the four of us getting together for a Zoom, all right? All right, have the ladies sorted out, I'm there. All right, I think, oh, Deb just walked in the room. Um, <laughs> I heard you. Okay. All right, done deal. <laughs> Deb says hi. Hey. <laughs> all right, thanks, Rob, talk cool. to you soon. Thanks man. again, everybody, stay safe, see you later. All right, thank you, bye-bye. I'm still live online. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh. I'm still on the show. She's over there breaking out a bag of chips. Anyway, thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. <laughs> she can't keep her hands out of the chips. Um, we will see you tomorrow for Quarantini Happy Hour. Same time, same place. And I expect all of you who showed up for the free stuff today to show up tomorrow when there won't be free stuff. All you get is me but I'm free. <laughs> All right. Have a great night. See you guys tomorrow. Oops. Thanks for joining us for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye-bye. Oops.